This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to the Renegade Report. I'm Jonathan. And Ramon is present. Ah, is that, uh, is that the best you can do with your, your, your current voice? I still have man flu like a month later. It's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, well, we are pre-recording this somewhat in advance. So um, difficult to have a conversation about something the EFF set fire to two days ago or something stupid the president did tomorrow. Or something that Helen Zeller tweeted. Because we don't yeah. know. It's like three weeks in advance. But all of these things probably happened. Right. All of these things pro- and, and all overseen by Atul Gupta. Uh, don't talk about our president like that. It's His Excellency uh, Gupta, by the way. He's a new, he's, he, he's always been the president. I remember when Helen Zilla was uh, had her tweets at the time that our recording with her came out. The ANC said, um, uh, uh, "Helen is a real leader of the DA, and Moose is just a caretaker." Yeah, it's hilarious. Coming, I mean, pot kettle. And I'm like, so based on the emails, the Guptas are the real leaders, and what is what is Jacob then? Also a caretaker. Yeah. With, but with actual proof. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really been a, an interesting uh, couple of weeks, couple of months, the whole year, in fact. Right. So let's talk about Patreon because that's interesting. Uh, so if you don't have your mugs by now, something's gone really wrong. So let us know. But the, we should have them out. Yeah, that, about. you should have them. It's 4th of July. Happy Independence Day. To whom? Well, the people getting the mugs. Oh, right, right. Okay, yes. <laughs> Because a mug is indicative of independence somehow, <laughs> according to Jonathan. Uh, so you should have the mugs. Uh, thank you to everyone on Patreon who supports us. Um, and just, yeah, just, I don't know. What else do we talk about? I have no N- idea. Nothing else, nothing else. So let's get straight on to it. Our guest this week is Ian Miles Chong. Ian lives in Malaysia. He is a journalist and uh, you, these days mainly writes for the uh, Heat Street uh, publication, which is uh, online. Um, Ian, um, welcome to the show. There I am screwing up the board again. Um, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm th- thank you for having I, me on. I, I'm happy to be here. I usually do this at the end of the show, but at still gray on Twitter, uh, because, yep. uh, you have, you, you really do, uh, uh, run a very interesting timeline. Uh, and uh, give a lot of people, uh, some quite a, quite a bit of stick, which I find quite entertaining. Uh, Thank you. How did you get to that uh, handle? Um, it was actually um, well, it, it, it's quite uncreative. Uh, it's nothing to do with the color of my hair. You know, it's gray, and it's always been gray. But uh, <laughs> and it's still uh, gray. It's, it's act. It's still gray. Yeah, it's still gray. But no, the, uh, no, the uh, I got the name from a song uh, that Pendulum made. It was called Still Gray, right? And I figured, you know, like I was trying to pick a new name at the time. I used to go by Saul Invictus, which is a, is a very, you know, uh, narcissistic sounding name. So I chose not to use that. I just went to yeah. Silgre. I figured this is a cool combination of words. So why not? All right. And, and of course, you're, you're also commonly referred to as IMC, um, which yep. would be your initials. Uh, and not mm-hmm. in the most uh, complimentary of fashion sometimes. Uh, you were quite... Uh, a prominent figure, I suppose, in the Gamergate saga. Is that, that fair to say? That is fair to say, yes. So, uh, yeah. Uh, sorry. I was on the other side at the time. Indeed. <laughs> so, that's why we got you on, because you were actually what we, well, what is colloquially called a social justice warrior. Correct, at, yes. At the I, time. That's what I used to be. And then you've been red pilled by something. I don't know what it is, but we'll <laughs> get into that. But if we have to go straight okay. uh, at the beginning, yeah. Gamergate was the first real cultural war in the West for, for a very long time, since the fall of communism, arguably. So what exactly was Gamergate? Uh, you know, it's, it, it, it's a weedy topic, but you know, I'll try to uh, explain it as best I can. So Gamergate essentially started when uh, a game developer, Zoe Quinn, was accused of having improper sexual relationships with uh, game journalists. Basically, you know, uh, Using them as a you know a, a sort of way to get famous you know for them to write uh, favorable articles or whatever that was one of the accusations. But the bigger issue that came out of Gamergate, like 
uh, was was the fact that uh, game journalists in general were having too cozy relationships with certain game developers, indie, uh, independent game developers, and in particular their friendships with these people, as well as their own ideology, right? Their, their closeness to these uh, these people basically made them push social justice ideology into gaming. And a lot of people, for for a lot of people, that was a bad thing because you know, as a game journalist, you're supposed to just report on the games, you know, tell them if they're good pieces of, uh, of entertainment. Like if you're doing a, a review of say a game you want to talk about what the game is like right you're not going to talk yeah. about how oh this game should have more uh you know black people in it because uh, reasons for diversity or something people don't really want to <laughs> read that stuff and then when you start docking points for a game for its lack of social justice or you're complaining about how it's got too much violence in it or something which has been a complaint among these social justice warriors they're essentially you know for gamers it's essentially like reliving the 90s when you know these extremely Christian people would, would say, hey, this game is too violent, you need to make it more Christ-like or something like that. So, it, you know, the, the pendulum has swung. You know, it, it's gone from the far right to now the far left, which is calling for puritanical, you know, uh, it's calling for games to basically serve their interests rather than the interests of the of the people who buy those games, right? Yeah. So, well, yeah. the, the gaming industry is, is huge, and it, it, it affects millions of people. If I'm not mistaken, games are bigger than, than films worldwide. Correct. So, yeah, so, so pushing sort of cultural ideas into games, if you wanted to push a specific ideology, is a pretty clever way to go. It is, yeah. I mean, it, you see it with a lot of new media. You see it with comic books, with tabletop games, with uh, with you know, uh, it, it, with like science fiction and fantasy. It's all been, you know, it's, it's all being invaded, so to speak, by social justice warriors who have no real interest or even talent in the mediums, you know, that they cover. But they're there because it allows them a, a venue, like a platform, to spread their message, right, their propaganda for feminism or uh, social justice ideology. So what, what attracted you as someone on the left at the time uh, to, to fighting that, that cultural battle at the time as well? What did you think of gaming when you were a participant in it? Right. Um, I mean, I, I come from a gaming background. Right? I'm not like the social justice warriors. I was just someone who enjoyed video games and enjoyed writing about them. I was a game journalist at the time. Um, the reason I got so into it was pretty much because everybody else around me was, you know, like the gamers themselves might not have been into it, but the game journalists, the people that I associate with, the people that I respected, the, the, my favorite writers at the time, they all got into it, basically. So it, it, it is a culture where the people who speak out the loudest get the most attention, basically, right? And that that's where the term virtue signaling comes from. It's like saying, I am holier than thou. I'm going to be out outraged about this one thing you know that no one's been outraged about and, and i'm going to do it in a way that's unique so that's what you know that that game of one-upmanship is what you see online on twitter every day like when uh some game journalist writes an article about how um say some video game is sexist the another one will follow up with how it's also racist you know and they just keep doing this thing over and over again yeah. so it's very easy to fall into it when everybody else is doing it and you also feel like you have a purpose you know, um, like you feel like you're doing something because uh, keep in mind that a lot of the people who who become a part of social justice culture are essentially miserable, depressed people. You know, they have nothing going for them. And while I, you know, I was I was in that same boat, you know, I was a depressed person. And what what this does is it actually makes you even more depressed because these people cut you off from the rest of uh, you know society. It's like a cult, basically, is what it is. So once you're in there, it's hard to get out. Yeah, indeed. And what was interesting about Gamergate was, uh, I think Milo Yiannopoulos came, you know, came about at, at the same time. And yeah. this was the first time that consumers fought back against authoritarianism. So uh, the universities were taken over in the 70s, uh, politics was taken over in the 90s, and then now they were coming for culture, notably gaming yes. culture. And Gamers actually said, actually, fuck you. We're going to fight back. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah, the first time you, that right? happened. Yeah. So what, what as, yeah. as someone who was against Gamergate, so Gamergate are the people that fought back. Uh, as someone against yep. it, what were your arguments for, uh, what, against gamers at the time? Are they just like rubes who don't know their own sexism or something to that effect? 
that was that was part of it. The other one was to essentially ignore their arguments, right? If they had a had a good argument, uh, what I would do or what any social justice warrior at the time would do is to essentially ignore their argument and argue against a straw man. You know, because that's the only way social justice warriors can win an argument, which is why nowadays when, you know, when I argue against social justice warriors, I'm not really doing it for them because I know I'm not going to convince them. You know, like maybe one out of a thousand will be convinced, but the majority of them are not going to listen to me. I'm arguing because uh, I'm arguing for the audience. People on the fence, they need to see, right? Mm. These people have no opinions or anything. They... That's what they see. So I'm arguing for them, and that's that's it. You know, I think I think it's an important lesson. I often say that on sort of Facebook as well. I, I have arguments with people, and people say, "Well, why are you bothering?" It's not for the person I'm arguing with; it's for everyone watching. Uh, and if you can make Correct. some good points and get uh, the people who sit in the middle, as you say, on the fence, um, that's that's really a good way to go. So. Gamergate sort of happens, and there's a whole bunch of people, Ramon alludes to uh, Milo already, and there's a whole bunch of people who sort of get propelled into uh, the public eye, so to speak, and are still there. I mean, we've got uh, uh, some people running for Congress in the U.S. Um, <laughs> yeah. based on that. Uh, software engineer, what's what's her name? Um, so, uh, Brianna Wu. Yeah, yeah Brianna Wu. Wu. Um, yeah, so you've, you've got a lot of these people sort of being propelled into, into fame and, and Gamergate kind of blows the whole cultural war kind of wide open. And these concepts of maligning people as misogynists or sexists or, um, bigots, um, because gaming kind of started with that. We, we had in the nineties, well, violent games will cause violent people and then, Correct. All yeah, the data and evidence sort of proved that to be completely false. Um, That's right. So is that kind of the point at which you became more interested in the general culture? Uh, yeah, I would say that at the time, you know, the, 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 the problem, though, is that I was unable to speak out. Right? Any, a, a thing about uh, social justice warriors is that if you're part of their group, you will be afraid of speaking out against anyone who is wrong. If they're in, you know, they're like a marginalized person or in the, if they're in like a position of power, like for instance, Anita Sarkeesian, you know, who is feminist frequency. A lot of SJWs actually disagree with her videos, but they're afraid to say so because they actually believe that speaking out against her falsehoods is going to give ammunition to uh, the gamergators or people who are anti-social justice. So even even a lot of people actually know what they're saying is wrong, but they're just afraid to say it. You know, they're afraid to to contradict anyone. Sounds like a cult to me. Mm, it is, yeah. I mean, the only reason I got pulled out of it was because I had friends on the outside, you know, that I didn't abandon. That uh, that you know, these social justice warriors wanted me to. I mean, they were always like I was friends with, uh, and still am friends with Brad Wardell, the uh, CEO of Stardock. And, you know, he's a he's a staunch conservative. And yet I was friends with him for, you know, 10 years. So nothing they said could actually, you know, get me to stop being his friend, although they would try to point out how, you know, being his friend was problematic. Um, though I will say that the person who did pull me out of it was my best friend at the time. You know, she saw what I was, you know, what I was getting into, what I was actually had gotten myself into and how I was completely miserable. So she pulled mm. me out of it, you know, bit by bit. Yeah. It's interesting because... Uh, I've, I've never really thought of it this way and, and we've never really discussed it in the sense, but the idea of, um, the entire sort of social justice warrior network being a, a, a health problem almost, uh, you know, it's oh, being yeah. an unhealthy lifestyle, an unhealthy way to, to live. And the deeper you get into it, the sort of more mentally unhealthy you become. Um, because mm-hmm. it's, it sounds quite isolationist in, 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 in many ways. And, and as if, you know, you, if your friends aren't woke enough, as we know, then you can't be <laughs> friends with those people. And it's this constant yep. playing oppression Olympics. So ultimately you will eat your friends, so to speak. Um, because at yep. some point, even friends who you think are woke enough, uh, will, will not be anymore. 
Yeah, it's it's this constant thing where you have to either you know you're you're constantly policing your your own thoughts, so you're afraid to speak out, you're afraid to have any opinions, you're only parroting what the other people are saying. It's like a hive mind almost, and you know you have to constantly police other people, and this is a thing that's actually encouraged by the social justice warriors. So they uh, one of the you know the the things that they they stick by that one of their mantras is to basically call out oppression wherever you see it. So if you see a friend making a sexist joke or you know making a you know something that's not pc you have to call them out and if that person you know becomes defensive refuses to be called out then you know you either call them out harder or you just you know you you cut them off because they're bad people right that this is like the general advice that these people will give you that you cannot be friends with someone who's toxic yeah we we had uh, jordan peterson on this podcast earlier this year and he spoke about the soviet union being a very low trust society people didn't trust each other because people lied all the time and everyone Mm -hmm. could report you to the state for having like if you had my friend grew up in the soviet union and you were considered bourgeois if your lounge suites matched Right. So if you had a lounge suite that matched, I mean, it's funny. It's funny to us, but yeah, you can imagine yeah. the society if you go for tea or coffee at your friend's house and they got a matching lounge suite and you report them to the state for being bourgeois. And it seems to be the very, a very similar mentality, except it's about oppression rather than bourgeoisie. Um, right. and, but why are they so strong? Because a low trust society is not a great place to be in and people are miserable and, but why are they, it just keeps replicating itself all over, well, the West at least. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why I think it is the way it is, is because a lot of people just give them the power. You know, they, they tend to control the narrative when it comes to the media. A lot of them are in the media or a lot of them are in positions of essentially, you know, they have megaphones where they can, you know, shout down other people and, 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 and you, you, you're seeing this change. Like right now you're seeing a lot of YouTubers, uh, are essentially anti-SJW. So all the biggest ones, you know, Sargon of Akkad, yeah. Undoomed, all these people are all anti-SJW. You know, even even the biggest one, like the the biggest ones, PewDiePie, PewDiePie is yeah. an anti-SJW. Yeah. And uh, p- people are, you know, tired of it. Like, you know, like a few years ago, a, a site like Gawker, which is essentially an SJW site, even though they do bad things, right? I mean, SJWs are bad, but they would you know, go above and beyond and, and basically screw with people, right? Uh, they could get away with shaming people, shaming people into silence or, you know, using uh, terms like uh, misogynist, sexist, bigot, you know, racist, whatever. But now it, it seems to have lost its effect. You know, it's no longer as powerful as it once as it once was a long time ago. You know, well, not a long time, but in three years ago, if, if, if you, someone was if accused you use of, it on everyone, then it does become less powerful. Correct. Yeah, they have they have outplayed themselves. You know, they they played themselves as 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 the phrase would go, right? Uh, so they still keep trying to do it, and to some extent, they they're still succeeding, right? With um, at E3, they managed to to force an apology out of a uh, game developer who is anti-feminist. Uh, you know, forcing him to say that he's not anti-feminist, that he regrets the things that he said. Right? They made him do this all because he had made some statements supporting GamerGate a few years ago. And his game was, keep in mind, the, one of the biggest games at E3. People were really excited about it, but because some of them have a vendetta against him, uh, the fact that he's an independent developer and, and he's successful and their games are not made it an issue for them, right? And they actually managed to get his publisher to issue an apology as well. So they still have some power, but I don't think it's going to last. You know, Give it a few years and... I think I think they'll just completely lose it because right now he is getting more support than any of them are. Yes, they might be writing you know a dozen articles about what a bad person he is, but you know on the ground where people actually talk to each other uh, on Twitter, you know those tweets defending him are getting more traction than any of their articles. I mean, yeah, they might be published in in Vox or or Polygon or uh, Kotaku, but how many people read those sites compared to how many people read a certain tweet? A tweet might get, you know, 10,000 retweets and, you know, a million views compared to their article, which might get maybe 50,000 views at tops. So being an SJW as you were, what is a good way to to fight them? Um, A good way to fight them would be to, you know, 
I would say that, like like I said before, you know, there's no real way to argue against them. So you have to sort of point out how ridiculous they are because they really are ridiculous. You, you can't really argue with them on, you know, some some logical ground, like point out the uh, a fallacy of what they're saying because they're not really interested in that, right? And 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 that kind of bores people. So you have to basically humiliate them. You have to out meme them, so to speak. Top that, kick. That is what works. Yeah. Top kick, yeah. That's why you know the Kekistani movement. You know, people like to call it white supremacists and so on, but they're not, right? They're, I, I know a lot of them. And they're fucking around. <laughs> Chatelet, yeah, they're fucking around. And guess what? It's actually very effective against these uh, these SJWs because there's no way for these SJWs to really counter them. SJWs can call them sexist and racist, and they'll be like, "Yeah, uh, we're edge lords. You know, we're not. You know, it doesn't matter. We'll, we'll make a joke about something." Big whoop, you know. Essentially, it it blunts their weapons. Their weapons are shame, and Kekistanis are shameless. So that's what you got to do. You got to be shameless. Yeah, very, very true. I, I read a book by a guy called Vox Day, who is mm-hmm. who is he's like a Native American, Mexican, and white, but he's like sort of like a supremacist, like a white supremacist. He's a white supremacist. He is yeah. a white supremacist, right? Yeah. He, he wrote yeah. this book called Social Justice Warriors Always Lie, which is more along the lines of. Uh, social justice in the science fiction uh, realm, mm-hmm. but he has yep. like he has like twelve things to do. Number one, never apologize. Number two, never resign. And number three, you just have to last. You have to last the attack out, so to speak. But people already, yeah. but people already like fall over as soon as they attack. Right? They already immediately right. post an apology, and that's the wrong mm-hmm. thing to do because these people are not interested is, yeah. in. They're not interested in. They want to humiliate you and make you disappear. Essentially, Correct. and and, and yep. apologies seem to be like blood in the water. It I, is, yeah. I, I, it I, is, I, I almost don't think you can apologize anymore. No, it, it's the it's the worst thing you can do. I mean, uh, look at look at um, Adrian Schimlars. You know, I can't I, I can't pronounce his last name. I'm so sorry. Uh, he is the developer of uh, of multiple games. I think he he made Bulletstorm back in the day, and he made. Uh, uh, You'll, you'll have to look him up. He's a Polish developer. And then there's the other guy, Daniel Vavra. He's a Czech developer who's making Kingdom Come Deliverance, which is a, a beautiful looking game. And neither of these two people have ever apologized. And their games are successful, right? They've won awards. They've got, gotten, you know, tons of sales and they have a huge fan base, all because they've never apologized. Whereas people who have apologized have either, you know, slinked off into nothingness or, you know, essentially been shamed, right? They, 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 they get to lose a bit of their ego. And every time, every time a person apologizes, uh, the SJWs get more power. So you're right. I mean, Vox Day is right about this. Never apologize because I noticed that the SJWs don't even go after Daniel Vavra or Adrian anymore because they know that they can't, you know, they, they, they can't even go after Notch. You know, that guy's got his billion dollars. Yeah, Notch just told them to fuck off, basically. Yeah, basically. I mean, I'll tell you what. That's how you deal with them. I'll tell you one thing. When we started this podcast about a year and a half ago, we we are the only. Okay, I'm an anarchist libertarian type, and he's a a right wing Zionist. Not not, not really. (laughs) Classical liberal. Uh, But uh, we 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 had guests on here, and they were just like shoot the shit and talk all sorts of offensive nonsense, and us too. And they came after Mm -hmm. us the first like five episodes, and now we only get praise. They only talk about us like in the like a subtweet. They don't even. Tag us. They like already oh, get reported this or that or the next thing, but now we only get like we ne- we don't get any hate mail whatsoever, and it's a bit disconcerting because we actually like to put up a fight. <laughs> um, that that it's interesting because I get hate mail every day. I you know every time I tweet something, I get like at least a dozen tweets of, of people hating me or subtweets even even more subtweets. No, the problem is Ian, you are an Asian fellow. I mean. A- and yep. uh, you are living uh, with false consciousness because you don't, you, yeah. you don't you, actually. You've got internalized uh, hatred for your for, for your yourself. For your yeah, indeed. Yeah. And they're just trying to save you from yourself. They're not. They're really not. They're just pissed off because I'm an apostate. You can, know. Can we talk about um, a little bit about the concept of? I don't, I don't know where your politics lie. I assume they were quite left, and 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 obviously there's yeah, that horse, right. there's that horseshoe concept of where the the sort of left slash Mm-hmm. Far left, but as far as I'm concerned, the left is the far left now. Um, and the, uh, and the alt-right kind of almost meet because they both are essentially authoritarian fascists. Um, Correct. 
even though Antifa thinks they're anti-fascist. It's funny, as soon as you put anti in front yeah. of anything beyond the year 2010, you actually are that thing that you're anti. Winston Churchill said, right? Yeah. yeah. Winston Churchill said that when, when, when fascism comes again, it will, you know, come wearing the, the, uh, what, the, it'll carry the flag of anti-fascism. Yes. So we, oh, we, South Africa, we've got anti-racism. Uh, I know that's not just a South African concept, but it's quite prominent right. here, uh, obviously because of our his, historical past. And they're usually middle class white men, um, white yes. knighting for black people because they assume black people can't make their own way in the world. They're actually racist, completely racist in, in, in their behavior. Um, but I'm interested because gaming shows us that the free market works. So, for example, social justice wants us to have, you know, diverse costs in these, in, in games. It wants us to have equal number of black people, white people. Um, if you do a, a show on, on, if you do a game, sorry, on World War One, then, or World War Two, then you must have women in, Wimson, yeah. sorry. Um, you must have Wimson in the, in, in amongst your <laughs> troops, even though, um, you know, that is completely ahistorical and beside the point right. of how militaries usually work. Um, yeah, I would argue for good reason. Um, so we get a rejection of of these things because games have been made where there's been social justice influence, and they 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 don't seem to do as well as games, which just get no on with it. it. Yeah, no, nobody cares about it. I mean, everybody praises Gone Home, and back in the day, I would praise it too because, again, you know, there's that that whole viral effect, right? That hive mind effect where someone praises something and you see all your friends praising it and you think, oh, there must be something good about this because everybody's talking about it, right? So you try to say something to be relevant or to, you know, to be one of the people who actually gets it because if you are, are saying this is a terrible thing, then, you know, uh, then there's something wrong with you. So nobody wants to be that person, at least in social justice. Uh, and, but, you know, Games like that, they just don't sell. You know, they don't sell because the the general public isn't caught up in the hive mind. They're not part of it. They don't feel this need to justify what they like or dislike. They don't, you know, like a lot of social justice warriors will, will say something like, uh, "Oh, uh, this game is bad." You know, they'll say, um, "Fuck, The Witcher Three is uh, is sexist or racist, and I can't enjoy it because you know Geralt has sex with people." You know, the main character. Uh, but anybody else playing it will be like, "I'm just enjoying a video game. I don't care." You know, I don't care about this issue. Yeah, it's weird. So, it's weird how ideology does not need to be uh, present in every aspect of life. It's quite amazing. You would have thought. Huh? <laughs> Would have thought, yeah. but, but talking about ideology, so a very well-known social justice warrior called Lacey Green uh, recently – so, so she's a, a feminist, uh, a sex-positive something or other. Hmm. I, can't, I can't remember. She's I watched, a sex educator. Sex yeah, she educator. makes sex education videos for teenagers on YouTube. Yeah. Right. And uh, for a few years, she was like the queen of social justice on, on YouTube to a far extent. I always found her yeah. a lot more reasonable – than others, but she oh, was, yeah. but she was, she was uh, a third way feminist. Yes, basically. very much right. so. And then she left YouTube for a year, I believe. Mm. And she had yep. conversations with people on the other side, like Blair White, a, a trans woman who's a conservative. Uh, she had, yeah. and then now she released a video called Red Pulled or something to that effect. And yep. she says, I've been listening to a lot of people on the other side and I'm not as against them as I thought I would be. Literally, that's what she said. And yes. can you just tell us what the, what the outcome of that has been? <laughs> uh, all the people who, you know, who she once opposed actually embraced her in open arms. Yeah, there was some, you know, there are a few people who are a bit hesitant. They're saying that, well, maybe she's like a Trojan horse or something, but then others quickly swift, you know, corrected them and said that, What's the problem? I mean, if she, if it turns out that she's an SJW trying to get in, we we're, we always have agency to to be like, okay, she's you know obviously not one of us. You know, we can just not care about what she says. And by the way, we're not a hive mind, so why does it matter who you know who talks to us, right? So most anti-social justice people or neutral people or anything. They liked it. They liked the fact that someone who was such a staunch feminist could come out and speak to them and treat them like human beings and actually try to understand their points of view. You know, it's a beautiful thing. So that was one side of the equation. On the other side, the social justice warriors, the feminists, they were enraged. They are calling for her destruction. They are unhappy and they're calling her, you know, they're saying that she's now validating white supremacist views, that she's validating racism and sexism and that she doesn't care about Muslims and like all these straw man arguments, anything that they can throw at her. All things she hasn't said. 
Nothing she said. Yeah, she's still a feminist from what I know. You know, she just doesn't care about what they say anymore. Like she's not going to shame herself, be shamed into silence. And I, I applaud her for it. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I mean, I've, I, I don't care too much about internet culture. Okay, a little bit, a little bit. But I'm, I'm happy if people change their minds. I think if people change their minds, it's, it's the sign of, of a healthy character. But what is odd is that they don't seem to understand that by attacking her, they're validating her decision even more. Absolutely. I mean, they did the same thing to me. I mean, when I first got out of social justice, it wasn't a total 180. Mm. You know, I was talking to people. I was talking to Gamergate supporters. They had reached out to me even before I, uh, I, I made my decision to go public with it, right? And w- w- as soon as the SJWs discovered that I was talking to these people, they, was, they were flooding my DMs. They were telling me, Ian, this is not a good look. Ian, this is bad. You're, you're validating harassers. These people are dangerous people who want to kill us. You know, saying things like this, <laughs> making all these false arguments that I didn't buy. I didn't buy. I thought it was hyperbolic. You know, it's just no way. And they're doing the same thing to, to Lacey. I'm sure they, some of them reached out to her and did that, but she kept talking because she realized they were full of shit. <laughs> so. Now they're attacking her. She gets to see who they really are. She gets to see their true colors that, you know, them reaching out to her. They didn't really care about her. They were just upset that the biggest feminist YouTuber, 1.5 million subscribers, would turn against them. That was Mm. all it was, you know. That's just what they care about her for. It's it's also interesting that the the aim to destroy is not uh, merely located on destroying the person's, for example, YouTube channel or um, their income, uh, that that is very much gone after. But in her case, for example, she started dating uh, someone that the feminists hate, um, Chris Reagan, and uh, now they want to destroy her life. I I think there was some tweet from one of these prominent folk who who said something to the effect of that she doesn't deserve happiness. Um, Yeah. I, I, I don't know. What it is that, that it's, people can't sort of see the difference between debating an idea they don't like versus just trying to destroy the human being. Yeah. So there's that, that I think is the biggest difference between, say, an anti-social justice person versus a social justice warrior. The, the, a person who's critical of social justice in general is just debating ideas. They don't care about the person really, right? They're, uh, they'll make fun of a person based on the ideas that they have. That's it, right? But a social justice warrior will make it very, very personal. To them, uh, they follow this uh, feminist ideal called the personal is political. So essentially, everything you do with your life, whether it's, uh, it's eating a certain food, whether it's dating somebody, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, it, it, whether it's saying something, everything you do is political. It's a political action. So they make their lives essentially political. So the only way to fight back the opposing politic, right, is to kill it or to hurt it. And, and, and who, you know, who, who better to hurt than the conduit of that politic, right, that idea, so that's, that is why they're going after her so personally. They want to personally ruin her life because it allows their, uh, their, you know, their, their, their politics to win. You know, it allows their ideology to triumph over everybody else. It's, it's messed up. So how does, um, Antifa fit in all this? So, uh, because as far as I'm aware, sorry to interrupt you. As far as I'm aware, Antifa are a okay. bunch of middle class, generally white people. Who go mm-hmm. to universities and like throw stones at the police or, or at Milo attend, you know, Milo goes there and they throw stones at the uh, people who are attending and they smash windows and mm-hmm. all sorts of things. Are they, are they related to the social justice movement or are they, they just like completely off the reservation? No, they are the social justice movement. They are the social justice movement. So uh, you, that's the next iteration. You, you have a, yeah, you have the social justice warriors who are keyboard warriors, right? They're just arguing on Twitter or, 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 or live streams or whatever. That's where they argue. And the, the Antifa are essentially a, a, you know, a weaponized or militant version of the social justice warrior. They see that, that arguing online doesn't do enough. It doesn't do anything, right? It, it, it's not effective. So they're taking those words and turning it into fists. And they're, you know, setting things on fire, attacking people in the streets because they believe that, uh, that is the only way to effect change, to dismantle the systems of oppression, as they would say, you know? So... It's terrifying, honestly. What, what do you make of the systems of oppression? Uh, you know, you, uh, you, 
you live in Malaysia. It's it's uh, it's got some kinds of um, government government interference in South Africa. We do too, um, to some extent. Although we supposedly have the world's most liberal constitution, um, I can <laughs> I can assure you it, it doesn't always translate that way. But yeah. um, what do you make of the, the sort of systems of oppression in the West? Because I can tell you if I travel a couple of thousand um, kilometers or miles north of our border, I will find true oppression. Um, Wait, yeah, and you will. Usually, yeah. usually not based on race, I'll tell you, because most of Africa is black. Um, right. It's just based on who has um, power uh, usually. Right. Um, but in right. the West, we've gotten over a lot of these systems of oppression. And where, where do you think the, the disconnect is? In people who are who who live good lives, um, who usually have decent houses, drive cars, um, you know, eat whatever food they want to, basically mm-hmm. um, wear whatever clothing they want. You know, we're talking about people in the West are generally well cared for human beings. Where where do you think yeah. the disconnect comes in that they're so oppressed? It's manufactured. They want to be oppressed, right? They want to imagine that they're oppressed so that they have something to fight against. You know, that, that is the biggest thing. I, and I theorize, right, that if, if we were to have a universal income and everybody had universal health care, everybody was fine and could live to 90 or 100 and there, no, you didn't even have to, to go to work, there were no jobs, we would be, you know, we would be so oppressed at that point. Everybody would be complaining about how oppressed they are. You know, I, I, mm, it's, it's an interesting it's, theory. Just, it, we, you know, as humans, we, we strive to struggle. You know, we're, maybe it's built into our DNA where we need to, we need to find some strife, some conflict. I mean, that's how we thrive throughout, uh, throughout the ages, right? Every time there's a war, you know, there's advancements in technology. Uh, I mean, the only reason we have new technology is so that we can defeat hurdles, right? We, for instance, we have faster computers so that we don't have to wait so long for a file to load. We can, uh, create better graphics so that things look better. It's, it's, always about improvement and improvement and improvement and with social justice or you know society in general it's all about it's it's the same concept right you want to improve something so what happens when there's nothing left to improve well you start manufacturing problems you know you you manufacture issues that's why you know gender is such a big issue now It, it used to be race because race used to be an actual issue right people uh had segregated um fountains and Absolutely. they couldn't sit in a bus if they were black you know they had to sit at the back stuff like that but since we don't have any of that anymore and now the only real oppressions come from uh you know they're self-inflicted right if you if you're jobless there's a good chance it's probably because you're not applying yourself very well uh it's not because you have a disability i mean now we have uh payments for people with disabilities we have all these nice things for people so the people like like i mean who do suffer genuine disabilities and stuff like that you tend to notice that they don't they're not these social justice warriors they're not going to com- go out and complain poor people you know like uh impoverished people people who grew up in the hood or whatever they're not going to be like this but the the this middle class types of people they tend to make up the bulk of the social justice warriors they have no real problems but so they have to manufacture them they have to 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 wear their you know their issues uh like like badges of honor they like, will say like that patagonia oh, vests yeah <laughs> exactly like that right they'll they'll say oh i i'm i'm disabled i'm queer i'm autistic i'm transgender i'm this i'm that i'm this and that and it's like it, it's it's all these things that allow them to be so oppressed so even if they you know even if you fix say transphobia you know if if you fix it there's always going to be those five other problems that they have there's going to be mental illness or something like that uh, you see it all the time. You know, they just want a problem to fight against. And instead of addressing real problems, like, I don't know. I mean, poverty is a real well, problem. Well, I'll give, I'll give you an example. Black Lives Matter um, is a movement that starts because of the argument that uh, the police are oppressing black people. Um, and Correct. that is po- almost what they do. So they, they don't protect anyone. Th- their primary goal when they wake up in the morning is to oppress black people. That whole movement <laughs> takes that whole movement takes on uh, this this big role um, becomes quite a quite a large movement. I'll, uh, I've got a sort of semi conspiracy theory. You've noticed there've been no giant Black Lives Matter rallies since Hillary lost, um, right. and they suspended. They haven't done anything since the second debate. But um, 
the the truth is is that that there is a policing problem in some black communities. For example, in, in Detroit, um, the, yep. the violence in Chicago, the violence in the black community is horrific. Um, mm-hmm. between the community themselves, they need far more policing right. probably and they need a lot of help, um, from wherever they can get it. Uh, and yep. in fact, that Black Lives Matter movement, in my opinion, has done more damage than anything else. Yeah, they don't care. If you if you look at Ferguson, for example, they were protesting the death of uh, of, of a guy who may or may not have mugged a, a grocery store, right? Uh, but while they were you know doing this thing, a, a little girl was shot and killed in a drive-by shooting, in a gang-related drive-by shooting, and it was like a mistaken you know like they they didn't probably didn't intend her to be to be the target, but she died in that shooting, like it was a stray bullet or something. She was a black girl. It was a black shooter, but nobody, you know, protested for her. In fact, the the first people to visit her and to go to her funeral were the police themselves. They were so incredibly sad that they had, you know, disappointed this innocent family and this innocent child. You know that she had become a, a victim in the ongoing, you know, violence, gang violence in the area. But Black Lives Matter did not have a peep to say about the whole issue because to them, you know, the police are the target, like the the, the main issue. What I, it's it's not a real thing, you know. It's it's a manufactured problem. They're not mm. dealing with the real issues. They're they're dealing with issues that they think they can tackle because they're like straw man arguments, you know. Yeah, to, to me, social justice has always been like the an ailment by the bourgeois on the bourgeois. If you if you live in America, mm-hmm. if you're one of the poorest people in the U.S., you are still in like the top one or two percent, you know, in the world. In terms of standards yeah. of living, in terms of income, in terms of all sorts of things. And it's, as you said, it, it always is derived from these very rich areas. In South Africa, we have a middle class that's also very, what's called woke, right? It's, um, yeah. Nelson Mandela, who was our president after apartheid ended, he, now he's sold out. He didn't liberate the country. Now he's sold out because the economy hasn't changed. The, the white people still control everything. And this is parroted by the political party in, in power. It's parroted by NGOs, by the media. And if you look at the stats, there are more black people in the upper income group and more black people in the middle class and far more black people, unfortunately, in the, under, in the very poor underclass. But the stats, the stats are there for you to, from the, from the state, by the way, these are states stats. Yeah. Um, but they never ever come into the equation whatsoever. No, they, they don't, they don't like to deal with this. Uh, and you see it in video games all the time. They, they, they talk about wanting to have more female representation in video games, to want to have more female game developers. And in doing so, every time they bring this up, they're erasing the existing female video game developers. They're erasing the fact that, you know, pretty much every big game in the past, I don't know, 15 years, even even longer than that, was uh, has female characters in them, you know, like main characters. They just pretend that they don't exist, and then when someone makes a so-called woke video game, they all sing its praises. It'll be like, finally, a female video game character we can relate to, as if, like, what, the, the, the thousand others uh, don't exist? Yeah, well, we see this narrative that- over and over again. I mean, you, you talk about gaming, uh, Laura Croft, but of course, Laura Croft wouldn't be Tomb Raider, you know, that wouldn't, that wouldn't be accepted acceptable because she was a yeah. good looking woman with with nice breasts right um and right. and now we've we've got the same thing repeating itself in films so wonder woman gets commissioned gets green lighted all the feminists are like over the moon about the fact that there's going to be a wonder woman movie finally women are are, are being recognized feminism um mm-hmm. and then it comes out and it is is actually fairly a feministic movie, but it, it doesn't push a third wave narrative. Right. Uh, it has a problematic lead. Um, sorry for using that <laughs> word, but um, it has a problematic lead because she's a Jew um, and she's she's Israeli. So so that of course is is, is against the narrative. Um, and and mm-hmm. she was in she was conscripted in the army. Yeah, in Israel. Yeah, so as she, well. she, 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 like she's every a, other Israeli citizen. Yes, she's yeah. she's an Israeli oppressor. Um, so so suddenly you have to make a decision because you were happy about this movie, but now it's come out and it's not everything you wanted it to be. Um, it pretty much wasn't sort of Wonder Woman starting off the movie, chopping off all her hair, dying it purple, um, and refusing <laughs> to shave her armpits. And you know because that wasn't the narrative. Uh, 
you just can't support this. And and it, it, I'm I'm interested to know what what a sort of game or film or any kind of cultural aspect that would be supported by the SJWs. Anything that they make, that's the answer. And they're and, only interested in supporting themselves. Yeah. And, and an selfish. example, any good stuff? Um, Revolution 60, piece of shit made by Brianna Wu. <laughs> it's garbage. It looks like a game made in like 1992 or something. You know, it's so bad. Uh, it's like a Mass Effect ripoff of really bad combat. Uh, but that was like rated highly among the social justice warriors. They were praising the fuck out of it. But I mean, it's really bad. But I'll yeah. tell you, for a TV series, there's a TV series on Netflix called Dear White People. And I saw the trailer and I thought, oh, this looks intriguing. It could be like quite a, a, a snappy, funny take on race relations in, in the US. And it's just pure ideology at the end of the day. It's not, it's not directed well. It's not awful. It's not terrible, but it's really not fantastic. You go to Rotten Tomatoes, a hundred percent rating for dear white people. And you're like, <laughs> of course, on yeah. what, on, but on what basis? It doesn't look good. It's not acted particularly well. The story's a bit shit. Like it's just pure ideology, no aesthetic, nothing. I just, I had really struggled to get through the third episode and I said, I, uh, enough now. I'm not getting any value. But if you go to Rotten Tomatoes, a hundred percent. So yeah. it, it really makes you wonder why are all the critics on the same page? Um, because they're part of that same social justice community, the one that all, I was a part of. They're all friends with each other, and if one of them were to say, oh, you know, this Sensate show or Dear White People, you know, it, it's actually kind of bad, they'll get so much flack for it. They, they will be shit on. They'll be like uh, – other people will be like, well, you're giving the other side ammunition, you know. You, you can't say this. Is there a WhatsApp it, group? Can we, can we, like, <laughs> can we join there something? There are Slack channels. <laughs> yeah, there are Slack channels, there are DM groups, they, they talk to each other because uh, some people send me screen caps of these things. Yeah, they do exist. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I'm just, I'm just gobsmacked back that people are not, um, are not free to say what they really think about something. No. Um, yeah. None of them are happy. They're all miserable. You know, all, all these people, like even, even the, the, the most vocal people are miserable because they are constrained to what they can really say. Even if they have like, especially if you're in like a position of power, it's especially bad because then people who are, you know, who want your position or jockeying for your position will be essentially waiting for you to fuck up so that they can virtue signal and kick you out. That's why, you know, whenever you see all these social justice warriors like Anita Sarkeesian, you will sometimes nowadays see smaller ones, you know, uh, calling them out on, on something bad that, that they've made because they're waiting for that perfect fuck up to happen so that they can kick them out and then maybe they can get power. It's it's uh, it's very it's tough. You know, I mean, it's it's a depressing situation for them. Yeah. But Ian, here's the thing, though. They we are what well, we were losing against these people who are depressed and unhappy and cult-like. So it makes you think, yeah. like, what? where did we fuck up? I think we didn't speak up enough. That was our fuck up. You know, when all this first started happening on Tumblr, because Tumblr is like a catalyst, like whatever happens on Tumblr, it's going to spread, you know, to the rest of the internet within at least two years. So, like, I saw this stuff happening in, in like, 2011. I used to make fun of Tumblr. Uh, I used to go to Reddit's Tumblr in action. And mm. funny thing is, I was in SGW at this time, and I, I saw how crazy this was, but I didn't realize how bad the mainstream itself would get. But I was making fun of this stuff, you know, the gender pronouns and uh, the they slash them and the uh, or this is problematic or this is racist or sexist or whatever. Until, you know, like, in, in like, 2015, that's when I, I stepped out, right? Uh it had become mainstream. All the stuff that I'd been seeing for years, the cultural appropriation about how eating sushi is racist, that had become mainstream. And now you hear people actually saying that. You, there, there were these two women in Portland who made a taco truck, right? They were just selling the tacos, but then somebody added them to a list that said that they were being racist because they were culturally appropriating Mexican foods and stealing Mexican culture. They had to shut down their business because everybody stopped eating there. Yeah. That's how fucked up it is. It's mainstream. So a prob the problem is that we never spoke up at that time. You know, when, when it was first uh, starting, uh, there were too few people making fun of them, too few people pointing out how absurd this was. Mm. We didn't take them seriously. All the, you know, the people I talk to nowadays, 
they admit that you know back in the day when 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 someone was calling it out like when say thunderfoot was calling it out people thought he was hysterical you know they didn't think that he was onto anything they thought oh this guy's just crazy you know like, there's no way these uh, social justice warriors will ever catch on you know, the mainstream's too smart for that mm. no bullying is you know these people will become the mainstream by bullying people into their ideology and that's scary so we do need to keep talking about it it's an interesting point that that we've we've discussed with a group of friends um which is you know you you get a lot of freedoms in in sort of the western world uh in terms of you can do whatever you want you can be whoever you want uh but i feel like sometimes when you give that much freedom to people that have bad intentions um you know this might be the result and what you're kind of saying is the the limiting factor is is freedom of speech the lim- limiting factor is standing up to to these these sort of abuses of freedom um by yeah. by by calling them out for what they are is that a fair yeah, characterization I mean- Absolutely. We have to keep calling them out, you know, because they do constantly abuse those freedoms and they use it against the rest of us. You know, Uh, they are free to essentially slander and libel people if they feel that they're doing it for for a good reason. And, and, And people are unwilling to speak up against them because they have this this weird privileged position of being, you know, marginalized or queer or something. You know, they that's why they have all those labels, because it allows them to basically fall back on, well, you're only insulting me or you're only disagreeing with me because because I'm a woman, you know, they, that's how they do it. And we, we cannot be shamed. We, we shouldn't allow ourselves to be uh, to be shamed. That's why, like I said before, you know, the Kekistanis are kind of the best way to, to approach it because they don't give a shit. Yeah, they don't they don't care at all. So, so for, for my sake, what the hell is Kekistani? It's an ethnic group, Ramon. Get, get with it. Is it like a virtual republic on the internet about something? I yeah, see, see Sargon talking about them. I didn't actually see what it is. Yeah, okay. So I wrote about this on, on Heat Street, but essentially what Kekistani is, is a, is a response to social justice warriors. Is what it is. It's a it's a fictional digital online. Uh, I, I don't want to call it a community per se. It's more like a like a uh, kind of like a, a philosophy, like a sort of a mutual philosophy that pulls in a lot of different people from different political groups. You have leftists, you have uh, centrists, you have people on the right, all joining in to basically say fuck you to the social justice warriors. Is what it is, and it comes with memes. You know, memes are like a big thing. For the Kekistanis, you know, Chatelet and, and Re, Dormies and all that stuff, all the stuff from 4chan. Uh, there's a lot of in-jokes, and, but a lot of it is very funny because it's not politically correct. Uh, unlike the social justice warriors who have a lot of in-jokes but are not funny to the mm. outside, which is why, you know, the left isn't exactly winning that culture war right now. They're yeah. actually losing because they can't tell jokes. It, the jokes <laughs> are too pl- problematic, you know? If you, if you, well, I mean, with the Kekistani stuff, for example, they know that the left calls everything a Nazi. So a lot of the Kekistani yeah. memes are like taking kind of Nazi symbology, then sort of turning it around. So it's not really Nazi symbology, but you can kind of like, if you tilt your head the right way, you'll, you'll pick up yeah. on it. Sorry. Symbology. Are yeah. you fucking serious? Sure. Symbolism. <laughs> it's, it's symbolism. Ah. Have you seen the Budok Saints? There's a whole Listen, scene. I'm, going, I'm cutting him off. I'm cutting, he's off. He's off. <laughs> but, but, but essentially, it's anything that offends them uh, is basically goes straight into the memes. Uh, and then that yep. just, just, just pisses them off. I mean, the re thing is because of autism. It's autism, yeah. Autism, yeah. It's, it's beautiful. And it, it, it actually is a, you know, like they joke about autism and the re stuff, but these SJWs, for some fucking reason, are living memes. They will literally screech, right? They they will screech oh, in public. Yeah, Trigley Puff, exactly. Or, or, or Smugly Puff, for example. Or, or, you know, that, that woman who, who got on her knees and, 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 and read when, when Donald Trump was inaugurated. For example, yeah, you know, and there was another one the other day. Feminists, uh, sort of naked feminists screaming. The one woman mm-hmm. looked like she was a human version of the alien from from <laughs> Alien. Like uh, yeah. you must go, go look on the web. It's it's, it's some funny I stuff. Look for it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's such. Yeah, I mean, these people are incapable of handling differences of opinion. They will scream and yell and screech when they don't get their way because they are literally fucking children. You know. Well, 
that's a bad way to phrase it, but uh, no, they're literally, you know, their minds, right, are so infantile because mm. they, for a long time, they have gotten what they wanted. You know, they, they would all, all they have to do is, is cry sexism and everybody would just, you know, bend knee and apologize to them and, and say, oh, sorry, you know, I, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings and so on. But they don't get that. Guess what happens? They scream. They, 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 tr- they throw away a tantrum. Free. Well, we're talking about pedophilia. Uh, it's quite odd because Salon.com had a lot of articles by pedophiles saying that um, yeah. they weren't Talk monsters. Pictures. Yes, yes, they weren't yeah. monsters. And I mean, I, I tend to agree. I think pedophilia is a form of uh, a, a cognition thing. And, it's a uh, mental illness. Yeah, it should be treated. If you want to call it illness or whatever the case might be. But then Milo says, yeah, maybe it's not too bad for like a, a boy to be with like an older man if he's gay to show him, I don't know, to show him something. But anyway, Milo, it, it seemed like Milo was endorsing pedophilia and he was destroyed for saying that. But on, on the, but no one on the left like wanted to protect him or defend his, his views. So it's not, it's not about the view. It's about the person talking about the it's view. It's about the person saying it. It, the interesting thing about Milo is that he was joking about uh, about his, you know, the experience that he had with the older man because he was essentially sexually assaulted by the older man. And that was like, this is my belief, right? And this is basically what he actually said in his apology uh, speech. It was... Uh, it was his way of processing it. Like he had been raped and he didn't know how to deal with it. So he dealt with it in the only way he knew but possible he by ra- joking. He rationalized it as well. So as uh, far yeah, as yeah. I can tell, I, I listened to that clip. I, I've, I've listened to a lot of the stuff. I mean, I, I see yeah. where the problem was with what he said, but he mm-hmm. rationalized it. He was a, whatever he was, a 14 year old boy who got into a relationship with an older man. Uh, and now he, it's, it's, it's 15 to 20 years later and he, yeah. he has to live with that. So he's rationalized what happened. Um, yep, it's the that, only way you can deal with it. That, really, but that's you know, not I mean, unnatural. All humans rationalize their experiences. Yeah, absolutely. And they demonize them for it for for doing that. It, it is a it is a natural response for any human being to try to rationalize a, a very difficult situation that they've been through. Because I mean, that's kind of how PTSD works, right? It, mm-hmm. If if you're raped or something, uh, you will blame yourself rather than the person who 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 raped you, right? Because it's it's. It's easier to do that because it gives you a sense of agency. Mm. Like you, it gives you power, right? It gives you a sense of power, even though you had none. Because you don't want to admit that you had no power. It's it's a difficult concept to to you know to say that. Oh yeah, uh, I didn't deserve this. It's it's difficult because it means that you are powerless, and no one wants to feel that way. It's yeah. it's a terrifying feeling. Well, well it's, right? fu- even- it's, it's funny you say this because you know human strength comes through not being a victim. Yeah. Right. Which is kind exactly. of the opposite to the other side we've been talking about. Just, just quickly, we're gonna we're gonna have to wrap up soon. But um, your your views on Trump, uh, the hysteria around Trump, uh, yep. and 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 all of that. Oh sure, um, you know Trump derangement syndrome, I like to call it. Um, as for Trump himself, I do not support Trump. I think he's. He's kind of a bad leader. I'm not afraid of him. I don't think he's going to spoil, you know, destroy the planet or mm. you know, all that nonsense. Because, I mean, the way that I see it, and I read, you know, a few articles about this recently. I've been talking to a few people as well. Is that he makes so many mistakes that you know, th- this is a, a a guy who's not really a threat. You know, he and there, and there are too many checks and balances in the United States for him to really do any lasting damage. But I do appreciate the fact that he is president because not because he I like his leadership or something, but because he represents something. He represents the idea that uh, that someone who's not a politician, someone who's not part of the inner circle of Washington D.C., can come in and and you know and lead. You know that's that that is I think a, a huge accomplishment for for anybody. Yeah, it might, he might be a billionaire, but you know he 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 didn't get through by his money. There were richer people. They he didn't spend much money at all compared to Hillary Clinton. She spent a billion and a half dollars. On, on her campaign, and yet she still lost. He he spared he spent like a like a fraction of that, and he won, right? So to me, that says that that the people still have the power to to enact change in the United States, and I'm very happy about that. Yeah, I, I don't like him as a leader. I don't even like him as a person. But I think what he represents is far more important uh, important for you know democracy in the long run. Um, yeah. I know. As for sorry, go ahead. 
as for himself, you know, I, I think he's kind of like a historical arsonist. Um, uh, I don't know if you watched. Uh, <laughs> Interesting term. <laughs> yeah, the the um, uh, the, the podcast, uh, Hardcore History, right? Uh, Dan Carlin describes people like uh, you know uh, Genghis Khan, uh, Julius Caesar, Adolf Hitler. You know, I'm not comparing Trump to Hitler here, by the way. I'm just saying uh, that they were historical arsonists. Essentially, they come along and they set fire to history. Like things are all going as planned. They're all smooth sailing. And then this guy shows up and everything is changed. You know, it's either revolutionized or, or something happens that, that basically changes the face of mankind. And Trump is kind of like that. You know, his policies might not be the hottest thing. But the fact, like I said, that he exists, you know, that he has become president is is proof that People do have power. People can do change, you know. Um, as for the people reacting to him, it's Trump derangement syndrome, as I like to call it. Because now everything is Trump. You know, a, a movie could get canceled and they'll blame Trump for it. And I think it's hysterical and I think it's stupid because if they want to be an effective hashtag resistance against Trump, they should perhaps uh, pick their battles better and not freak out over every little thing that happens. You know, it it diminishes the quality of their arguments. It's like, again, like the social justice warriors going on about how everybody's sexist and racist and homophobic and so on. At some point, everybody is. So who cares? You know, who cares? Ian, don't don't help them win. Tell them to carry on. Yeah, call Trump a Nazi. Don't worry. Go ahead. Go oh, call Trump a oh, Nazi. It's perfect. They, they, they won't take my advice. They just they thrive on outrage. They, you know, th- these people are the kinds of people who will set a notification for Trump's tweets so that whenever they see it, they can launch you know th- save drafts in, in his Twitter replies. Yeah, well, that's what they live for. Well, I don't I don't know if they're aware of this, but if you rearrange the letters of hashtag resist, it actually spells out hashtag Trump twenty twenty. <laughs> Because, frankly, I I don't think Trump, he's not the most effective. Like, take everything away from it, okay? He's done some good things. He's done some bad things. Um, And, unfortunately, he doesn't get praised or criticized nearly enough for the actual bad things and the actual good things. The actual things. Yeah. But but it seems to me that his his chances of being reelected in 2020 – um, are completely and solely based on the resist campaign. As long as Madonna keeps threatening to blow up the White House, um, and, yeah. um, you know, uh, has been, uh, co- comedians keep holding up bloodied heads. Um, frankly, the guy is going to make it in 2020 just based on that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's that if people get, annoyed when they see that so they're kind of going to vote for him out of spite you know that's a funny thing unless he fuck ups really badly you know uh that's what's going to happen and people are dumb they need to stop doing that well, i think t- talking about being dumb there's a, a court case donald trump blocked someone or some people on twitter uh, this past yeah. two weeks and oh yeah and uh, he blocked them and now they're going to the courts to say that he has uh what what you censored? He censored the, the, no, the, the first, first amendment. The first amendment has mm. been has been infringed. infringed upon because the president has blocked them, and they don't know why he he, he would block them. If you go to every single Trump tweet, there is a stream of fifty tweets from yep. the same person, verified all, usually, verified somehow all the fucking verified, time. Yeah, and these yeah, are we people. We've written about this on right, Street. Right, yeah. right, and so now they're going to court to say that the, the president can't block them on Twitter. Are you fucking insane? Oh yeah, they're insane. They won't win. Um, I, I've, <laughs> no. I've read about this, and uh, you know, we've interviewed uh, like constitutional scholars, and they say there's no real case because he, he's not really blocking anyone. I mean, like, yeah, he can block them on Twitter, but they can still log out and still and still see his tweets. So, you know, there's no real, you know, there's no, there's nothing here that that's, that's actually being blocked. It's ridiculous. It's a private platform, first of all. Yeah, it's private. You know? That's the other thing. It's your First Amendment, the government interfering with your freedom of speech. Correct. Yeah. Anyway. Correct. Um, Ian, uh, it's been fantastic. Thank you for for joining us. I, I'm sorry we got to we got we got to cut it now. Oh, it's um, all we, good. We're running out of studio yeah. time. But uh, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. I hope to be able uh, to have you have you on. on in future again. Yeah, absolutely. So where, where can we find you, Ian? Uh, online is at StillGrey on Twitter. Yep, StillGrey with an A. Uh, and you can also find my work on Heat Street at heatst.com. Fantastic. And, of course, we'll link all of oh, that. And, oh, 
You yes. can also find me on YouTube, which I'm uh, beginning to start streaming lately. So you can go to youtube.com slash Ian Chung. Ian Chung. <laughs> awesome. Right. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Keep, until until next time. And keep fighting the good fight, my friend. Likewise. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Right, Ramon. So, uh, good stuff. Good chat. Yeah, another international guest down. Yeah. We, uh, um, we're working our way through them. Now you've got two YouTubers to listen to because, uh, that's Ian and, and we had, uh, Mouthy Buddha on, uh, last week, 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 week before last. Yes. Oh, week, week before last. Yes. That's right. Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. Too well, many, too many podcasts. Absolutely. And, uh, if you're American and you're listening to this, happy 4th of July. Since this is being released on the 4th of July. Oh, really? We want to wish them happy Independence Day, Ramon. From you, don't, you don't believe you don't from believe in, from, in, in states, so so independence independence from who? <laughs> English. The English, yeah. Oh, right, right. No, Probably English. a good thing now that that Corbyn's close to power. Yeah. yeah. Happy <laughs> right. Day. Uh, as always, you can find us on Twitter at Renegade underscore report. Uh, if you haven't listened to more of our podcast, please do go back and take a good listen. Some great stuff there. Uh, you can find us on Facebook as well, Renegade Report, and we have a Renegade Report group in which we discuss all kinds of topics and then finally you can find us on patreon uh, just search for us uh, we have various platforms where you can support the podcast we are entirely funded by you and we really appreciate all the donations that we've been getting thank you so much and until next time cheers This is CliffCentral.com.